Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the bi-weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. So my guest today is Jacob Angiano, and I was so excited to have you on the show. It's a real pleasure, and I want to start out by saying welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It's a real honor. I was excited when you asked me to be on. Uh, oh, great. Great. Well, this is all about the culinary school story, so I know you have a good one you'll be able to share with us. So let's start right out with our first question. Why did you go to culinary school? Why did you pick that? Where did the passion come from? Where did you get that desire to say, you know, I got to go to school. I got to learn this stuff. Well, that, that's an interesting story in and of itself. So at first, I really had no desire to cook, to be honest with you. I was mulling around ideas of like, you know, being a vet, maybe a doctor. I don't really like blood that much. So maybe that won't wor- really work. Uh, maybe being a historian. My mom said, hell no, how are you going to make money? Um, so I was just, so just kind of trying to figure out exactly what I was going to do with then. Uh, one day at high school, this recruiter from Johnson Wells came by and he said, you know, look at these opportunities that you have, four-day school week, three-day weekends. I thought to myself, hmm, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> three days off, hell yes. But also, but he mentioned, you know, start with your majors right away. You don't have to take all the minor classes beforehand. So you can jump straight. I can jump straight into learning culinary. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe that's something that I'd be interested in doing. Because I cook at home. I cook for my family all the time. At the time, I was working at a bait shop, so I had access to fresh fish all the time. And these guys at the shop that would tell me how to prepare it right and what I could do. So I was trying new things at the time. And I was always watching like Food Network and different cooking programs. So it would seem seem just like a good idea. And I was kind of, you know, didn't really have any real idea. I was just kind of jumping in feet first and seeing if I landed. And I happened to the first class that I had was Fundamentals with Chef LaCostra. I'm sure you remember him. Yeah. Um, before, before you go into that, though, why why did, well, you went to Johnson & Wales in North Miami. Why did you pick that campus? Why did you not go, like, did you look at any other schools or any other campuses or was it just, that was the one? Well, I didn't really look at too many other schools, I think maybe briefly, but to me, Johnson Wales, just, I like how they set things up. I like the professionalism of it. Uh, when I visited the campus, I loved how professional and business oriented all the professionals is where all the faculty was. Uh, I like the campus a lot. And for me, I stayed in Florida and North Miami specifically because all, all my family was in Florida and I didn't really want to be too far away from my mom, uh, my brother, my grandparents specifically, and my, my uncles were there at the time. So I kind of wanted to stay close to family, but I was, sure. they were in Boynton Beach and Lake Worth and, you know, being in North Miami is about like an hour and change away. So it's far enough away to where I can't just like jump over and, you know, they can't just keep calling me and bugging <laughs> me and say, hey, come over and do this. Right. But. I, I was close enough to where I could make the trip and keep and go see them, but I was also far enough away to where I could kind of do my own thing and learn and grow on my own. Sure, that makes sense. So tell me about that first class with Chef LaCastro. You're going to tell us about oh, that? Oh, yeah. That was interesting. Again, I was I was kind of nervous going into it. I was glad in retrospect that I had him because he's a really phenomenal teacher and uh, he was just a really cool guy, but he was able to like instruct the basics with, uh, but also be very approachable at the same time. Like he would throw in a joke 
joke or like i remember he we were learning how to um test the temperature of meats with uh by touch and he said now when you're testing the testing the meat with your finger you want to make sure you're you're clean but i know that desire like you have your thermometer but then you have this nice juicy finger what are you going to do with it <laughs> so i always <laughs> always enjoyed his uh, his comedy so it was really cool but going through that class and just learning the basics like how to cook an egg how to cook chicken proper temperature of steak and meats and different cuts and you know i just i was focused on just trying to absorb as much as i could and trying to just do it the best that i could because i'm there and once i put on that uniform and I sat in class, I, it kind of clicked in my brain. All right, I'm fully invested into this now. I have to bring the same work ethic that I've had or even better and that's always been instilled in me. So I have to approach this with 100%, if not more, to be able to make this work. Because to me and my, and my mentality, a lot of my family and people that have taught me over the years that failure's never been an option shown. I always have to attack everything as if I need to succeed. And apparently that came through because one of the last days in that class, he pulled me aside and said, I see all the work that you're doing and I think you have a really great future in this. I just want you to know that you're doing a great job and I want you to keep up that work. And to me, that was just amazing because I had never done any of this before. Uh, I was just, you know, some know nothing kid from, you know, a, a city that no one's ever heard of if you told him about it. And uh, the fact that he pulled me inside and saw that and recognized that with me and told me about it, it was it was incredible. It meant a lot to me at the time. Yeah, that's great. It was a good motivator too. You know, we know that you're on the right track. You made those right decisions. Oh yeah, for sure. You mentioned you were nervous, obviously. So think back to that first day when you arrived on campus. What do you wish you had known before you had started? I wish that I had known that it's okay to take your time learning things. Nothing has to come instantly. And maybe I, like, again, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be able to learn those things. And pressure is good in certain amounts and when done in a constructive way. But you don't have to pressure yourself so much or it's not right for everybody. So you shouldn't be focused on so much. I have to learn this. I have to learn this as fast as I can. And no matter what, uh, stay up late and you know, kind of take a lot out of yourself. What I tell everybody when I started working and got more into management is that I don't want you to work fast. I want you to focus on technique first. Once you have the technique down, the speed will come. And that's how I trained everyone. And that's kind of how I started really fast. And you don't really know what you're doing. That's when people get hurt. And that happens a lot in our industry, as I'm sure you know. Even It still even happened with me, uh, just in laps of thought and focus. And those are never fun. So I always tell people, focus on technique first, then speed. So Great. that's one of the things I would definitely tell people who are going in. Don't worry if you're not getting it right away, because learning takes time and everyone learns different. Awesome. Uh, so where are you now? You're a, uh, tell, tell us a little bit what happens after graduation. Tell us your path where, from, from school to where you are now. All right. So after school, well, during school, I was working at a catering company in Miami and they were cool. I was able to do a lot of different things with them, a lot of different techniques. They did a lot of molecular gastronomy. So that was fun, cool to learn. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of Latin flavors down in Miami. So learning that and kind of adding that to my repertoire. After graduating from school, I moved back up north to Boynton and was kind of looking for, for work around there and kind of where I was going to get into 
and interviewing at a lot of different places. And I think that's another thing that too, once you come out of culinary school, if you don't really know better, you think, all right, I'm going to get the chef position right away. I'm going to start running the kitchen. I have all these ideas. And sad to say, that is not how it works. You, (laughs) like one in a million chance you have of going straight out of culinary school and into like being a sous chef, executive chef, unless your parents own the restaurant or you know have a lot of connections or you're really just that good, it's not going to happen that way. You really have to start back at the bottom or start at the bottom and kind of and work your way up. And I started, I think one of my first jobs out of culinary school was uh, I worked at Payway and I worked as a walk cook there. And I was doing doing the walk and then days I wasn't doing that. I was doing the meat cutting in the back and, you know, portioning that out for the walk cooks and just trying to get as many hours as I can and kind of learn what I could. And then after that, I went to this restaurant called The Office in Delray and was a line cook there. And that's a whole different setup, whole different menu, different ingredients, different flavors. So learning that and growing. And I became really good friends with the sous chef who was there at the time. And I was there for about a year. And for me, going from place to place, I always attacked it of total commitment of like, I have to give this place everything I have. And that's another thing that I would tell people that are wanting to get into this industry is be devoted to what you do, but you have to leave time for yourself because this industry can kind of take away a lot from you know personal life and from family. So you have to be able to balance that very well because they, we have long hours. We work mornings, nights, all major holidays, and it can be a lot sometimes. It wasn't until very recently that I was actually able to have uh, a Thanksgiving or a Christmas with my family. So <laughs> yeah, people have to keep that in mind. And like, I'm sure you can attest that, that it can be tough at times, you know, and say like, why aren't you here? I have, to, I have to work and there's no one else that can do the job. So going from place to place. And then after, when I was at uh, the office, uh, the, the sous chef there, Derek, he left there, went to a hotel to be sous chef over there. And he brought me over there because we, you know, came pretty good friends and he knew how I worked. We worked really well together and brought me into that hotel in Pompano to be the banquet chef. And from there went to Singer, from Singer, a couple of different places in Delray and Deerfield Beach. And then my last job, I was at a country club in Fort Lauderdale, uh, Corridge Country Club, where I was the banquet chef there. And it was there for a couple of years. And that's a totally different setup too. It's like combining a hotel, a venue and a restaurant all together in one. And you have to kind of match the speed of everything that's going on. And that was my really first official management position. So taking the experience from that and taking the time to kind of get the experience I needed from there to have that on my resume to be able to apply to the position that I have now as sous chef in the soccer stadium. That one was interesting. Uh, not that I wasn't fully committed to the country club, but you know, I always look at job listings and you know just just to see what opportunities are out there. And I saw that they were advertising for a sous chef there, so I was saying, you know, I've been at the country club two years. Let me just apply here and just see what happens. You know, see if I get the position. And for me, it would have been a step up. You know, a little bit more gratifying and all the work that I've been putting into my career to be able to get that next level up. So I applied, I interviewed, and I. Got the position that's good um i look at it like going back to what you were saying but you're not going to be a chef when you come out because i look at it like medical school you know you do you do your rotations you do your medical school and then you got to go out and do your residency 
right? You got to go out and still learn it in the industry and then you work your way up and then you become the doctor that can go get, set up their own practice. So how long was it for you from leaving culinary school to you got that management level sous chef, that administrative type job? How many years was it for you? Uh, well, getting to the sous chef position was about 10 years. That's about industry standard. 10 yeah. years of long days, long hours, but <laughs> it can be, yeah. it can be frustrating sometimes because, you know, you see classmates or people that you still keep in touch with or you keep tabs of, and you know, you see them going, going way ahead faster than you are. And then others that you say that I haven't really done much, it, but mostly the ones that you see that are going, you know, farther ahead, either because the amount of time that and effort that they put into the people that they knew that just, they happened to open the door for them and they kind of accelerated that way. It can be kind of jarring sometimes uh, if you compare yourself to everyone else's success. You have to kind of look at your own situation as very unique because I think that's the thing is like expectation versus reality. You expect to like, as you come out of culinary school, go on Food Network, your own restaurant, that one leads into six others and you're traveling all across the world. That's not reality. Not saying that people have not been able to do that, but it takes a massive amount of time, work, and effort planning, and just the amounts of experience and knowledge that you're able to cultivate over years of work leads to that, not just straight out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And some of them might even bring in experience into culinary school. You know, like you said, they may have had a family restaurant or already been in the industry, so they, they take that with them. So that might give them a little bit of a leg up, but it's still, you got to put that time in oh, like yeah. you mentioned. It takes a, it takes a lot of time. Um, so you've been in the industry a while now. What's one common myth about the industry, about the profession, about kitchens that you want to debunk? That we eat all the time. <laughs> oh yeah. If I'm like someplace or like I'm working, someone like who's not culinary comes into the kitchen and I, maybe I'll say like, man, I'm hungry. And they're like, you're hungry. You're in the kitchen. I'm like, what do you think I'm doing? Just like standing around eating all the time. No, there's things that have to be done. There's a reason why I have to be here 12, 14 hours a day is because there's a lot of crap to do. Yeah. Sometimes I don't even get like a 30, 30 minute break to sit, eat something. But yeah, we we t- we do taste things. Yeah, that's part of our job is tasting things, but that's not equivalent to a whole meal. It's like you're tasting like one ounce of something, and then you're running around. I think I tracked it on a Fitbit one day. Like I, I was walking and running around like 13 miles in a day, or something, <laughs> sure. you know, something close to that. <laughs> but like, yeah, I think that's one of the myths is that we're just eating or like we're just stuffing our faces all day long, which is that's not true at all. That's not at all accurate. Yeah, it's not too many. Many times as chefs, we get to sit down in the dining room with a glass of wine and have a nice meal. It's like eat standing up over a garbage can or something and run to the walk-in and get back exactly to work. Exactly. Like, all right, I got I got this. I stole this slider. Let me <laughs> scarf it down in like two seconds before the chef sees and then get back to what I yeah. was doing. Yeah. Who are the three people who have been the most influential to you? It could be you know, family, could be professional, personal, could be in your schools. It could be you know anything that, uh, that you want to talk about there. Who is the most three most influential people to you? Well, to start off, I believe like career-wise, or at least in terms of just cooking skill, uh, Jacques Pupin has always been very um, influential to me. He's been always very, he's been very inspiring to me, I should say, just because I love the way that he cooks. It's very, very simple, yet very elegant. I think that this leads back into another misconception that you had to be, you had to throw a lot of different things and components and spices. You have to have like a thousand ingredients into a dish for it to be good, but that's very far from the truth. You can make things super complicated, but he always made things that were so simple, but so beautiful. 
and just so elegant and just wonderful to look at, to eat, to taste. Just okay. They were simple but elegant, and that's a lot of what I strive to do with my cooking as well. Another person who was very influential to me was my grandfather. He is one of the hardest working men that I've ever seen. He's uh, retired now. He's been retired for a while, but he is, he just always had such a strong work ethic and just a great, great person. He always tried to do the right thing, you know, treat his family right, take care of his family. And he was also very, very funny, man. Like he, he and I would joke constantly or he would, you know, ask me something and, just uh, see if I would laugh at it. Uh, my gra- my grandfather's from Titusville, Florida, so up towards northern Florida. So uh, he's another one. He influenced my cooking, some of my love for cooking as well, because he would always cook. He would make fresh-made cornbread, or he would bake bread, and he would make you know stewed vegetables that were to die for, and you know split pea soup. Ah, oh, split pea soup was great. That's where I got a lot of my love for southern cooking is from him, because I grew up eating it quite a lot and so like when he would make fresh make cornbread in his cast iron skillet it was the best thing ever (laughs) cornbread with a little slab of butter on it it was it was great nice crispy crust on it light and warm and fluffy in the middle and that split pea soup and just had like just that wonderful smooth texture to it and that little bit of salt to it it was i'm thinking about it right now i'm like (laughs) (laughs) you're ready to cook some (laughs) <laughs> oh man, like and like you would make this wonderful s- stewed veg. It was like onions and yellow squash and some tomatoes, and j- they were just stewed down. He wouldn't add anything else to it. They were just just vegetables and like a little bit of salt and pepper, and he just slow stewed them down and then until they were just you know all the flavors were nice and happy. Those are the only ways that I would I would eat it and I would enjoy it. Good. Did you have Did you have a third? The third person was my mom for sure. She was. Uh, a single mother with me and my brother. And so she would work two, sometimes three jobs just to be able to support us. And that, w- that amount of work that she did was never lost on me. So was, I saw that. And like the second that I was able to work uh, to help her out, I, I did. So I started working when I was around, I think I was 14 or 15. It was uh, the middle of high school. That's how I started working in the bait shop. And I think, you know, that's how we were we were talking about earlier. Um, one of the things that kind of led me into culinary is I worked at this bait shop for a really long time and the guys there guys that worked there and guys that would come in and that were fishing they would sometimes give us fresh fish so i would ask them how how to cook this and so i would cook dinner for my mom and me and my brother all the time i was kind of in charge of cooking dinner all the time so i would try new things fish and like a rice pilaf or potatoes and beef uh, pot roast is a big thing with us i love pot roast uh, so trying all these different recipes and different you know things for dinner all the time kind of led from it being necessity into a passion so that's where mine kind of grew out of was she a big supporter and, and and your family a big supporter of you going to culinary school oh yeah they were totally supportive especially once i was really once i started and i showed them you know hey i'm actually really starting to get pretty good at this they they supported me from from day one 100 and said this is what i wanted to be and i kind of owed it to them to do the best that i could to be able to go as far as i could to be able to pay them back for supporting me as that and again like with her work ethic working that much to be able to do what she needed to do to provide for her sons. I really appreciate that. And she's one of the strongest women that I know in this world. Good. Let me take you back to school. What was your best class and what was your worst class? As far as the best class, there's so many good ones that I 
I look back with really fond memories and just because of you know what I learned and the people that were teaching me like I, that would be a very very long discussion <laughs> so I'll just give you the highlights I love Chef Marsala Chef D- Dixie Marsala she was great learned dining room with her and I also had uh, Peridou as one of my as dining room and also meat cutting I had him with and just learning how to break down you know the different animals cow pig poultry was really great learning it from him from this wonderful French chef, which basically <laughs> the ones that invented our modern day cooking. So learning from Peridou was great. And again, he had a wonderful sense of humor, just throwing in comedy and humor in there as we're as we were learning. So for me personally, I, l- I learn better when it's a little bit more relaxed like that. So I was like, all right, this this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Uh, you have this chicken quack quack that you need to cut up. <laughs> so he would say that all the time. It was great. Well, humor helps pass the time a little quicker as well. Oh, oh for sure. And it kind of helps loosen people up that maybe they are a bit nervous or you know, feeling a bit you know, strict crack a joke here and there kind of loosens people up. So, all right, this is not, doesn't have to be so serious. This can be fun. This can be something that I want to learn. Chef Connors uh, and his analogy class and his craft beer class, those are great. He has a wonderful amount of knowledge that he passes on to. And like um, he had so many different people from different vineyards to come in and talk and, you know, show us their wine or their champagne, how they make it the way they, they do, the history behind it. I really enjoyed learning all of that. Let's see, Chef Lacoste for sure. Like his his fundamentals class, his uh, fundamental skills that I need to just build and grow on. Uh, he was kind of there as like a guiding light for me. So I always always respect him for that oh, and his good. abilities and his, his skills. Chef Kopsik, as his learning desserts from him, he was a great guy. Uh, again, super funny. Coach He was there. I never had a class with her, but she was always very helpful. Uh, you, uh, Chef. Well, I, I remember like talking with you, Chef Brandenburg was great. Uh, Chef Barber, the father time. He man, it's been there from day one, and he'll be there when it ends. <laughs> Chef Barber was was great. I when I did the tour of Johnson Wells, he was who I had my class with, and I remember like he was. We were talking about like you know Louisiana Creole New Orleans cuisine, uh-huh. and. You know, he asked me a question. And I knew the answer to it. And he like, he's like, "Where'd you learn that from?" He's like, "Food Network." He's like, "They get it right sometimes." <laughs> <laughs> and he's actually—I don't know if you remember me when I had—I had to—I had the afro and I had to stuff all that into the yep. skull cap. He was actually the one that suggested like the, the certain hair nets that they, you know, they sell them over at Sally Beauty Supply. Uh, you can use these for your hair. And you're like, oh, thanks. Like, uh, he's actually concerned about my hair, and, which is. That the hair was a is a whole different podcast. Yeah, well, he goes the extra mile. Oh yeah, for sure. He he's a really good guy, uh, Chef Rook. Uh, at first, like he's a guy that started off as probably one of my worst class and developed into probably one of my best because he has a very hard personality to kind of get into but once you kind of get on the same level as him Mm -hmm. once you kind of break through that barrier he's such an awesome chef such a a really great guy and we became really cool towards the end so what was that class garmage uh no i had garmage with brandenburg (sighs) 
what what uh international international cuisine i had with rook uh with french i had um uh, weniger chef weniger so it's fine uh french class with a german chef that was interesting <laughs> hey speaking of international tell me about your trip to japan I know you went there recently, and uh, the cuisine, and uh, tell tell us how that influenced you as a culinarian. Oh, Japan was awesome. I, I just recently went there. I've always been fascinated with uh, with Japan and Japanese culture, but like just the cuisine and you know looking that up of how they do like sushi and ramen and okonomiyaki and takoyaki or uh shabu shabu like the big hot pots and people think japanese they think oh sushi oh noodles like ramen but there's so many different layers and techniques and people don't really understand until you really go down that rabbit hole uh, or like same thing with ramen like to me, ramen is my rabbit hole. I will. When I went to Japan, I had ramen in every city that we went to. Wow. And it's amazing how just different that can be. Just the broth is different. The noodles can be slightly varied. The toppings can be different. Wow, I didn't know that. And when you eat ramen, you're supposed to slurp it. And when you slurp it, it injects air into the broth and into those layers and you know you get much more all more of the aromatics all the flavors open up and it becomes a whole different experience but yeah going to japan was a incredible experience so thinking about culinary school the time the money the investment all of that would you do it all again i never regret my education from culinary school a lot of times i regret the the price tag but i never regret the experience and the education that i got from it perhaps some credit at a community college first i would have been a little bit you know cheaper more affordable but as far as like the actual culinary education i would do it again in a heartbeat good do you have any stories about culinary school? Any good stories you have that you want to share? I mean, something that happened like behind the scenes maybe? Or in, you stayed in the dorms? Did you live there? Did you, you meal plans? Um, you know, part of that life? I did stay in the dorms. Yeah, I, I had the meal plan. I was in there. Uh, one good story that I do like, or one thing that I like that we did at our school is that we had the, the food truck rallies every, every Tuesday. So I enjoyed going to those because I felt like that just felt right for a culinary school you know you're bringing all these different flavors to us to experience and then i feel like that very positively affected us so you know we tried all these different things let's kind of take these into the classroom and try to recreate them or like see how they fit and maybe i can try and figure out how i can recreate how they did this and i would love going there and talking to the people and kind of picking their brains hey like what flavor is this how did you actually do this and where did you start Uh, i remember there was this one guy with an ice cream sandwich truck who went to cia and I asked him, like, he told me that. I asked him, like, what are you doing here making ice cream sandwiches? You went to, like, like places like the military of culinary schools that, like, pumps out, like, these highly trained chefs. And he's like, I just, you know, I went there, I did it, and this is just, this is what I wanted to do. I, I, this is how I'm able to do my own flavors, you know, express my passion and kind of just do my own thing. And I really, I really respected that. And there was a, an Indian cart. They had all these really great flavors. I had, like, these fried rice balls, and I had made like this yogurt sauce that was really cool and i i loved them so much every anytime that anyone was like walking by like hey you gotta try this and <laughs> so they used to start giving me free food because like hey i loved it I, I, they weren't like paying me to do that dude just uh, helping them out that the uh the food truck rallies that was like what 20 30 trucks that would come at once a week and you do a big you know circle and they had music and so it was a kind of and like they yeah and then everyone would go out you maybe like see other people and it was for me because i wasn't very social it was a great way to go out and be amongst 
people and be kind of social without having to actually directly interact with people. So, I mean, you could bond over like, hey, this is really good. Nah, I thought it was really good too. Let's talk about this. Let's get a dialogue going. What's a big challenge you had in culinary school? What did the lesson you learned from it? You mentioned that you weren't really outgoing. Maybe that's it or something else. Or maybe it was the academic part. Was there any challenges that you persevered? Academically, I never really struggled too much. Uh, I graduated cum laude, so that kind of tells you where my head was at. Uh, I was I was pretty well into, into my studies. I didn't really struggle too much with that. I think, yeah, being social and just kind of work my way, trying to find where I fit, because that doesn't really change whether you're in culinary school or regular college or not. You know, trying to find that core group of people where you fit into and yeah, like I would be, I found myself being taken advantage of a lot because I was, like I said, I was kind of shy, very uh, introverted, not very outgoing and social. So I didn't really have that strength of voice, you know, that strength of character that I, I have now after being through all the experiences that I've been through. So that's one of the experiences that I think a lot of people can relate to no matter what cause or, you know, place of education that they go to, if they're like leaving home and being out on their own, you know, they can kind of relate to that. You know, they are these people that no matter where you go, they're going to try and take advantage of you. Um, but I, I also found a lot of really good people, people that I talk to to this day or like people that I found a really kindred spirit with that I enjoy talking to and I had really long conversations with and I felt I could really rely on them. So that's also a really good thing that came out of that. Good. Um, culinary is a very artistic, you know, industry or passion or source of study. How does that tie into what you do with your woodworking? Because I know you're very artistic with that. Maybe you could tell us a little bit what you do with wood and is there any relationship with uh, culinary? Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, you know, like you said, culinary is a very artistic, very creative outlet. And I've always been around very creative people, like in my family. Culinary is kind of my outlet and kind of pushing how do I plate this right? How do I make it look nice? How do I, like, can I get a specific color out of this ingredient, different flavor, different aromas? How do I play on this? And I think after being in the industry for 10 years, you, know, you kind of need a break. Uh, you're Mentally, you need a break. You need to switch it up so that you don't burn yourself out on one or the other, I started thinking I need something tactile to kind of have at the end of the day because uh, culinary can be very fine. It can be very in the moment. Like you make this beautiful plate of food and then it's gone. You put it out and then it's gone forever. <laughs> and or, may, or maybe, you know, you're, you create this dish and then someone orders it. Well, I don't like this. Can you switch it up for that? But instead of grilling it, can you just sear it and no salt and pepper? And I don't like the onions and that. Can you take that out? And they kind of, they kind of change it and morph it into where yep. it's not really the dish that you created for. And it can, that can kind of stab at your heart a little bit. So with my woodworking, I wanted to do something to kind of improve the space that I was in, make things that I could, you know, use, but also that were beautiful to look at. But I also wanted to make something that was kind of a little bit more tactile, a little bit more permanent, something that I could say and consistently look at said, like, I made that. And no matter what else happens, that is there forever. And I know that that is going to be there. And I'm proud that I made that. Now, is, is this woodworking a hobby? Has it turned into a business? I mean, can people buy your pieces? Is there a way that they could see it? Or is it, no, it's just for, it's just for you? Uh, for now, it's a hobby. I do have a YouTube channel called Native Sun Wood Art. Uh, I've been doing that for about a year. 
it also leads into, you know, doing that leads into learning a new skill, learning filming, learning editing. And I, I know you know what I'm talking about too with oh, your yeah. channel as well. <laughs> so it's just like learning how to set up a shot and then learning, you learn photography, how to, how to make a thumbnail and then SEO and different learning keywords and editing, you know, video together when you speed up, when you slow down, where to cut a clip, adding in music, what's the right music to use, what's the right tempo, blending that in doing voiceover so that leans itself into learning more new skills and again stretching your thinking uh, but i do eventually plan to start selling some pieces and maybe setting up a side business with that um, not right now though i'm still kind of working out the fine details i'll be sure to put your uh, link in the uh, show notes so that people can go check that out if they want and these these skills as you mentioned are skills modern day skills that even culinary students today need to have. Um, I teach a class currently that's called media skills for the culinary student. And in there we teach, you know, YouTube and we teach blogs and we teach how to podcast. And, and as you mentioned, I do have a YouTube channel and I, and I show them that and I use that as a, as a way of learning for the, for the students as well. And, and I'll, I'll link those, but you know, social media is such a big part of everybody today that, you know, if you own a restaurant, you own a food truck, you own a bakery, you need to have that, those skills to be able to just be successful in business. Agreed. And it's just successful in the modern day age because so many things run off social media. Yeah. Well, as we come to the end of this and, uh, you know, before we do a wrap up, is there anything that I should have asked that I didn't, or is there anything that you would like to share last, last minute advice, something you'd like to say to the listeners? Last minute advice, I just say, if you have a goal in mind, hold on to that goal. Don't get frustrated that maybe it's taking longer to achieve versus someone else that may have that same goal. Uh, and just remember that it's okay if goals change too. If maybe you had an idea while you're in culinary school, I'm going to own a restaurant and do all these things. And then as time goes on, maybe that's not what you want to do. Maybe you just want to work for a really good company, like a hotel or a stadium or a cruise ship. That's fine too. Goals can change. Ideas can change. Yeah. It's not called chef school. You don't have to go be a chef. You could take that skill of that culinary arts and all the other classes and components of your degree and use it in so many different ways that many students don't even think about when they first come to culinary school. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's just about all the time we have for this episode. And I want to thank you, Jacob, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. We really appreciate your time, your insight, and your honesty. Thanks again. And I really enjoyed this, this chat we had. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it too. And thank you for having me on. It was a real pleasure to be on. Great. Take care now. Thank you. You too. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207 207- 835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you, and that is to share the podcast with everyone you know and to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next Culinary School Story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.